This is the 2021 Community Health and Advocacy Experience Podcast. This is a four-part educational series produced by pediatric resident physicians for pediatric resident physicians. The focus of this series is on race, racism, and health equity. Our topic for today is on listening. So today we're going to talk about listening to our patients and working to understand how implicit biases we might hold impact patient care. We've all experienced complex patient interactions that have resulted in less than ideal outcomes. And Amanda is here today to share one of those experiences with us. Hi, Amanda. Hi. So I was part of a patient case as my first day on a, as a senior on awards team uh, that resulted as a very atypical presentation for a complicated illness in a patient that resulted in a delayed diagnosis for this patient. But as my first day on, I was able to connect to this mom, talk to her, and we both spoke the same language. And so that helped as we were kind of discussing the case. And I was just listening to mom as she was really unloading her concerns and how she felt, and she was finally able at a point to advocate for her daughter, which she hadn't done until that point. And at the same time of her finally advocating in this difficult situation, she's also very apologetic and apologizing to me that she's sorry that she's acting this way. She's sorry that she's upset and she's sorry about all of this and just really hoping that I don't or the team doesn't interpret her as a difficult mom that she's just trying to look out for her patient and please don't let that affect her daughter's care. And that just really resonated with me because a lot of times, you know, our patients and families of color feel that they have to almost defend themselves when they're concerned or defend themselves when something is not going ideally. And I think that's something as medical providers and the medical team should be a little bit more mindful of when we're talking to these families. To help us learn more, today we have the pleasure of talking with Lorena Martinez. Lorena is a patient liaison here within our hospital. Lorena has worked in many different departments across the hospital system before stepping into her current role. Almost 10 years ago, her supervisor at the time recognized Lorena's ability to help resolve really complex patient concerns, and so recommended that Lorena apply for the patient liaison role. And we are so, so thankful that she did because she has been here ever since. Lorena is an expert communicator, an expert listener, and is passionate about social justice. And so we felt she was the perfect expert for our interview today. Dr. Reddy, a second-year resident, is taking the lead on our interview. We came up with a few questions. We're basically trying to learn what you think makes a good listener and what we could Mm -hmm. do differently to improve ourselves. So our first question is just that, what makes a good listener in your opinion? Mm -hmm. Well, I Google, when I got the questions, Mm -hmm. I started Googling to see, okay, what Google says, you know, because typically that's what people do. They want to know what Google is saying about that. But I got a good note of a doctor that stated that the art of listening, really listening, is a foundation to clinical practice. When you listen, it's a demonstration of respect, 
And listening is itself a healing practice. And that's what I understand about what is a good listener. Because knowing the parents or the patient, knowing that you are listening to them, it brings an open conversation. It brings something that happened to the patients or to the parents that gives them this calm that you are really are there to help them. And for me, a good listener projects that to the parents or to the patients in the adult world. Are there certain sort of qualities that you've noticed in residents or other physicians Mm -hmm. that made them a good listener that made you think, well, that person, that person is great? Every time I think about that, I know that we're not supposed to name people, but I always remember one of our doctors, we were working on a concern and this mom was furious at, at this doctor and he's pretty tall. So when we were in the room, this physician sat on the floor, even though there was a chair available for him, but he sat on the floor and listen to the parent and allow the parent just speak her mind and allow her to release her tension. And when she finished, you can even see in her body language the change in her attitude, that she was furious in the beginning, you know, but then at the end, she was a partner to the care. So I was really impressed with him that he recognized that. That doesn't mean that you should sit all the time on the floor, (laughs) but recognize that, that there is a moment in which it's okay to be vulnerable when a parent is upset because that shows caring and that's what the parents are looking for. That's a great story. So our next question is, What have you experienced as far as common pitfalls in listening slash communication that trainees make in general Mm -hmm. and specifically when listening to families of color? Mm -hmm. I thought about that. And one of the things that I see all the time and not just with new physicians, but physicians in general, that they're, even though they are listening to the parent, they're hearing what the parents are saying they are also thinking about the task ahead. And believe it or not, parents can see that, that you are in a rush. You know what they're about to say because for you, you have heard that statement previously. However, for the parents, remember, this is their first time. So if they feel that you are dismissing them because that's how they're going to feel, then the communication is going to have a breakdown right there. And then the trust is going to disappear. Now, you're saying about a person of color. When this happened to a white family, you know, their attitude is more like, how dare you dismissing me, you know? But, and I'm talking about in general, this is not always. But when a person of color, this happened to them, then the history of dismissal comes and plays a part. And the trust is lost and it's really hard to bring back. No matter how much you try to repair that, how much you say how sorry you are, if that's the way she failed or this is the impression that they got, 
because of the history of healthcare with people of color, then the trust is lost and it's a lot harder to bring it back. I had a couple of questions just based off of what you said. One of them is, do you think that patients of color don't stand up for themselves in those mm-hmm. situations because of past experiences? Or do mm-hmm. you just, do you think that they're treated differently? Well, it depends. There are times, depending on the situation, but they can be very open about what their concerns are. But the minute that trust is lost, that's when they close and they won't share anything else because they don't believe that you're there to help. And with the parents, it's really scary because then they're going to feel that you are not going to do the best for the child. They're going to feel that you are just there. How many times have you heard like, well, you're getting paid. I have good insurance, you know, and that's not the case. So how do these common pitfalls most affect the patient or how do these common pitfalls worsen racial health disparities? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that we touched a little bit about that regarding the, the parents' reaction, how we react. There's the conversation, right? So parents would lose their trust. And that's the main issue, that we don't want them to lose the trust that they have on us. Because the minute that it's lost, it is very, very difficult to bring that trust back. And I have seen it, even though we have done as much as we could after that, it's always really difficult to bring it back. So those are one of the pitfalls that I see. They feel disrespected, especially people of color. They feel that you don't care about their child. And that's very important to any parent because we want you to care also for them, not just for the white children per se, you know. They want to make sure that you put the same emphasis into the treatment of their child as you do others. And they will not feel content when they feel dismissed and not listened to. Do you, and you can be very honest with us. Okay. (laughs) Are there any things that you've seen residents do specifically again that you would have done differently or... Mm -hmm. Anything that you see specifically, even if it's just the way our body language is or little things that we say that you've noticed yeah, make you worried? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is difficult for the residents and it's because the inexperience, right? When you have experience of situation, you handle the situation better. So that's why I feel so... My... Reaction towards a resident is like, okay, I'm a mom, you know, so I'm going to protect them <laughs> because I know how difficult it is to interact with an upset parent. And if, because they do not have the previous experience regarding how to interact with them, they're going to be nervous. And parents will notice that you're nervous. Sometimes you're going to be unsure as to what the best treatment is, they're going to notice that. The residents, it's not like they're doing something wrong. It's more like they do not have the experience required for that. 
And there are times, I'm going to be the mama for the <laughs> residents. <laughs> there are times that I feel that they need someone with more experience to guide them while the situation is happening. And I feel that there are times that they are kind of left to battle the situation because they have to gain the experience, which I get it. You know, I get it. But sometimes I feel that I, I need to kind of protect them about, you know, for that. <laughs> so it sounds like actively asking for mentorship and mm-hmm. having the attending come in and, and asking for yes. help in situations and not feeling like you have to face that alone. Is exactly. that kind of what you're saying? Exactly. Maybe one strategy. Do you ever notice differences in how physicians listen to patients or people of color, perhaps from recognized or unrecognized implicit bias? How can we work to recognize when that's happening? Yes, I have noticed some differences, and I'm talking just in general, okay? There have been times in which the provider feels that the, the patient is not doing enough, or the parent just want pain relief, or the plan of care is correct, but they just want to dictate their care. And what I see sometimes is because we're not listening. Part of listening, and probably, I don't know if I said that before, but part of listening is not just to listen to the words, but also to the body language of the, of the parent. And many times the body language is telling me I'm scared, you know, I do not know the diagnosis of my child. How many times have we have patients that we don't have a diagnosis yet, you know? And of course, this is the first time for a parent that they have to relinquish the care or their property. I want to say property, but that's not the right word. But they have to, to let go of the child so other people care for them. So, of course, that's scary for a parent. And we have to recognize that. We not, not only listen to, to what they are saying, but also the body language that they are portraying. Like, tell me, are they nervous? Are they scared? Why are they angry? It might be, you know, from something else that had happened. And that is the situation then comes into place into the interaction. I don't know if I'm explaining that. No, yeah, I think you are. I think that's really helpful. Like sometimes when I see a family, I just think, and they're upset. That's the Mm -hmm. first thought that comes to mind. But kind of what you're saying is to dissect what that emotion is Mm -hmm. and understand that it's probably because they're giving up control of their bodies Mm -hmm. to you. Exactly. One example I've heard you explain really beautifully before is when a person of color is advocating for their child and they might use body language in a certain way Mm -hmm. or raise their voice in a certain way Mm -hmm. or move their hands and then how, how people's bias may interpret that differently Mm -hmm. depending on race, I think, yes. kind of gets to some of that too, isn't it? Yes, and I think that I, yes, that I have said that before. As you can see, I'm talking to you guys and I'm talk, using my hands. I'm Hispanic. I'm also half Black. My mother is a Black woman. So I know that we as Hispanic, we always are very emotional. You know, we speak with our hands, this body movement, that for somebody that is 
not very familiar to the culture might think that we are getting too emotional and too aggressive. Also, some of you may have heard the angry Black woman myth in the Black men that are too aggressive. So the minute that they start presenting an upset uh, situation, some people, because of conditioning, this is just because of conditioning, it's not that truly you believe that this person is aggressive because they're Black, but because of conditioning, immediately we have this feeling of we need to back up a little bit because we do not know what he's going to do. So I have seen that in some of the providers that they feel more guarded when a person of color is reacting about the situation. That doesn't mean that this person, because they're raising their voice, they might say a cuss word, doesn't mean that they're going to attack us. They're just worried that the child is in a situation that they cannot do anything about it, but we, they have to relinquish, you know, the care to others. So that's one of the things that I see the interaction with the staff, providers, or clinicians with people of colors. We also have the tendency to label people very rapidly. Oh, she's a troubled person. Be careful because she's going to be aggressive. So make sure that you empathize with the situation because you do not know being in that position how you will react. I'm so glad you mentioned that because that happens a lot. I know you guys, you know, I know that you want the best for the patient. You want a good relationship with the parents. So I know you want a good outcome. So when I say things like that, I know that it's that condition in that place, the part of that interaction. That is not that you are purposely trying to do something like that. We just have to recognize and ask ourselves, do I do the same thing if this was a white family? Should I have called CPS if this was a white family? Who have I called, called Gray? I think it's so important to kind of use these situations too as kind of a, a tool. A lot of times it would feel like a failure. Like it was mm-hmm. like, oh, I did something wrong. Like I'm a bad doctor. I'm a bad person because she had to get involved. And I think now, several years removed <laughs> from that, you know, I'm learning more and more that it's an opportunity that for some reason there was a gap in our communication, a gap in our connection. And what, what can I learn from that scenario? You know, are there implicit biases that I need to examine at play? Are there something I said differently or how can I get better? And so I think it's really easy to feel like you failed in some way when, mm-hmm. when Lorena is called on your patient, <laughs> but it's, it's not. And I think yes. that's a, I think yeah. you said that really nicely that, yeah. you know, you know them and you're, that's not your judgment of the situation. Yeah. At least it sounds like. Yes. It's funny because many times when I'm in, in the unit and I'm going to see a patient, they say, Oh, what did I do? You know, <laughs> I get, I get that feedback. Oh, what did I do? 
But no, remember, I'm here for you too. Yes, I'm the patient liaison and I'm here to help the parents. But I'm also here for you because I am that bridge between you and the parents to better understand the communication. And there are many times that the parents bring their own biases, right? And they think, oh, you are just here to do your job and collect insurance money or whatever, right? So when I interact them with them, I make sure that they understand that know that you are here to actually to help them, to actually to care for the child. And then they are having time in which I have told them, you guys sacrifice your own family for their children. You are here sometimes hours and hours. You know, I go home and you guys are still here. So I advocate for you too. So just don't, when you see us, we are here also for you. And that's what we do. We're here for the providers. We are also here for the parents. So don't be scared when you see me. (laughs) I think being proactive too. So I used to, like I said, when I was a resident, I used to think it was a mark of failure. Mm -hmm. But now I I call her enough and say, Mm -hmm. I need your help. I'm (laughs) I'm really struggling. I'm I'm having a hard time Mm -hmm. connecting with this family help me figure out how to do this better. Mm -hmm. And I think not to give you more work, but I I feel like (laughs) that often works a lot better. It's kind of a proactive mediation Mm -hmm. or communication rather than when it kind of explodes and then you're called in emergently to to fix it for us. And this is another part of listening. When you understand that an intervention needs to happen, let me call someone from the outside to come in so the parents can feel more comfortable expressing their concern. So that's a part of listening. You just said something that reminded me of an example that I want to give you. Like when you speak with people of color, there are some words that triggers them into a negative thing. I mentioned the angry black woman. I mentioned the aggressive black man. When you try to speak to them, to a person of color, about how they upset they are. I always recommend not to use the statement, I see that you are upset, because that triggers that belief that they think that you are seeing them as an angry person. So when you speak to them about how upset they are, say, I see that you are concerned. Or if you want to use the upset, say, I can see that the situation is upsetting. So make the situation upsetting versus that the person. Because through history, you know, we have always stated that he is just too aggressive and that's why. So the word upset, that you are upset, that kind of triggers something negative. You've mentioned how that once trust is lost, It's very hard to get it back. Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen it regained? If so, what were the keys to accomplishing that? A lot of conversation, multiple conversation, and following through with what you promise. Work with the parent as to how to better, we can better the relationship. I always ask, what would you like to see happen for them to express and to be part of the solution? Then just try to for you to resolve yourself the situation. Make them part of the solution of the situation and follow through. Don't wait until the end of the day 
to fix the issue or to do whatever it is that you... I know that you guys have a lot in your plate. I, I recognize that. But when you have an upset parent, just taking that extra minute will avoid that extra hour that you might take the next day, you know? So that's how I see we can fix the situation. Thank you, Lorena, for all that wonderful knowledge that we'll definitely use. Any additional pearls that you'd like to add before we wrap up? Yes. Remember to always make eye contact. When you're speaking to parent, they want to know, they are listened to. One thing that typically we do is we try to quickly answer a text message, even though you are able to listen, for the parents you are disrespecting. So make sure that you do eye contact. If you're going to place an order immediately that is related to the conversation, say so. Okay, let me do this order right away. So the parents know that that's what you're doing because they don't know what you're answering to on your cell phone, right? Make sure that your body language is relaxed that you have a relaxed posture. If you're in a group and there is one of you that is the leader of the group kind of leading this case, try to sit at the parents' level when you're speaking to them because that brings comfort to the parent. When you are kind of overseeing them, you present an authoritarian position. So when you sit down, you are kind of at that level or they're able to receive the information that you're giving them, even though the the rest of the staff is not able to do that. But you try always to sit down in the other level. When you promise something, follow through. You know, I have said that multiple times, but that's one of the key things that the parents notice. That is not that you're not following through, but for them, it's not following through at the time that they are perceiving that it should. So make sure that you set realistic expectations. Be responsive about their, their ask. Don't try to minimize or to present the situation like beautifully. Try to be truthful. Try to be honest. And if you don't know something, you just don't know, right? You can tell, well, I will find out about that. I do not know at this moment. It's okay to say that. I think that we better appreciate when you are honest with us than trying to resolve it what there and then. And then we know, we find out later on that you actually did not know. Be details in, detailed in your information giving and make sure that they are repeating what the plan you presented because there are times in which parents say, oh, okay. But they're truly not understanding. And when they call me, they say, they have not given me a plan of care. I don't know what they're doing. So, so make sure that you allow them to repeat what the plan of care is. Now that we've experienced how storytelling and expert opinion can elevate the narrative of vulnerable groups, we now turn to action items for people wanting to offer a listening ear to these experiences. I have always attempted to seek way to learn more about being an ally for historically oppressed people. Uh, I find it really difficult to do this when I'm within my busy life and within my very white bubble. This past Black History Month, I attempted to do so by signing up for a weekly text message via The Nudge. Uh, This company traditionally is a way for people living in a specific city, Austin being one of them, 
to get texts or nudges about fun events going on. This month, there was an option for signing up for the Ally Nudge, which provided an easy way to get digestible information as well as action items tied into each text about the information. You can go to www.nudgetext.com slash ally for more information and to sign up. Yeah. And I think that one of the first steps to becoming a better listener is to recognize your own implicit bias. And it's so hard to do this because none of us want to admit to ourselves that this exists within our own minds. However, it's a huge step towards growth. As pediatricians, we can allow ourselves to be more fully present for our patients if we first learn how to take a step back and acknowledge our bias, which I think is one of the hardest things to do. So there's a really great site that provides four actions that we can take in real time to help us break our biases, so to say. And, you know, it's a work in progress, but it's one thing that I've been trying to do for myself in You guys can also access this by searching the website Culturally Responsive Teaching and the Brain for Tools for Interrupting Implicit Bias. It provides four quick tools for us to use in real time when we're interacting with patients and even outside the clinical setting that we can can use to try and break our own implicit bias. Just kind of touching briefly on the four tools that the site provides. The first would be reassociation. So replacing the stereotype that we have in our mind. So with this first tool, a person will recognize that we're responding to a situation or a person in a stereotypical fashion. So first recognizing what we're doing and then actively trying to replace that biased response with an unbiased one. So a great example that the site uses is to reframe negative associations such as Black students are loud and disruptive. And so the reframe would be African-American students are enthusiastic and energetic. So rephrasing that biased thought into a positive thought. The second would be refuting. So counter stereotypic imagining. So once a person recognized that we've stereotyped a person or one of our patients of color, we think of examples to prove that stereotype to be inaccurate. So again, reframing our mind to think oppositely and spin it positively. Number three, perspective taking. So stepping into the shoes of a stereotyped person. We hear this all the time, put yourself in the other person's shoes. So put yourself in your patient's shoes. What does it feel like to have your intelligence questioned or to be racially profiled every time you walk into a store or an airport. So really trying to take that that perspective of your patient or the other person you find yourself stereotyping. And then the last tool that they provide here is increasing opportunity for positive contact. So actively seek out situations where you're likely to be exposed to positive examples of people that you typically stereotype. For example, people of color, African-Americans, Latinos or other people of color. So actively seeking out diverse social settings or seeking out personal contact through shared group activities with a diverse community. So just really providing yourself the opportunity for diverse social interactions is one thing that we can do to just be more well-rounded and try to get rid of that implicit bias that we can sometimes find in ourselves. So four great 
tools that we can do, like I said, in real time when we're talking with our patients or even outside of the clinical setting, like anything, it takes practice, but the first step is recognizing this bias within ourselves. Thank you for joining us today as we learned how to become better listeners. Please check out the rest of our 2021 Community Health and Advocacy Experience podcast series.